where we took this material and we said, what if we could fold something, you know, instead of, of, of building it on, a, on top of a substructure, what if we could use the material as its own structure? Uh-huh. So in that sense, it's a little bit, um, you know, taking the, the concept of origami to the structural level and not only to the aesthetic level. We like to say, don't mold it, fold it. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. My guest today has a passion for bridging the gap between industrial innovation and novel design. His work has been featured on Arc Daily and AEC Next, among other media outlets. Tal Freeman is the founder and CEO of Foldstruck. Welcome to the show, Tal. Hi, welcome, Todd. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having me. Very, very glad to be here. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your questions and communicating with the audience, the AEC audience out there. Awesome. Well, so I love finding new and, and innovative technologies and workflow. And I saw an article in AEC Next about how you all are developing origami-inspired 3D folding for fabrication, and it caught my imagination. So first off, how do you define 3D folding? Okay, well, I, I like to put it this way, and I'll begin you know, by raising the bar a little bit and quoting Einstein uh, <laughs> and saying that um, things should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. Um, and I think that defines folding, uh, for me at least, mm-hmm. because I feel that it's, it's kind of a system where nothing could be um, you know, reduced or added to. Um, and I think this is what, you know, drew me at least to origami to begin with, like, how do I build something in the simplest way? Um, you know, the most minimal way and with minimal material. And I think origami will satisfy that without going too much into what it is technically. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned it a little bit there, but what really inspired you to start down this road and, and found Foldstruck? Okay. So yeah, as, as I was mentioning, really what, what led me um, before I describe my, you know, myself and what I do, I think it's, it's how to do things, um, how to create iconic architecture, um, you know, with, with the means of mainstream construction. Uh-huh. I felt that there was a huge gap between what we could design uh, in the 3D, you know, the 3D space, the AEC industry. It, it's a great space to be in, but, but you know, the, the relationship between what you do on the computer and the manufacturing floor, there's a huge gap there. Uh, for me, origami was, was, I would say, kind of a way to try to integrate with reality. Mm. If I could design things that are foldable, perhaps I could actually fold them. Um, you know, anyone who has, has been in the architectural realm will tell you, you know, how hard it is to design things. Um, you know, you have them as shop drawings, you have them as 3D models, but then when you have to manufacture them, that's a completely different story. The, the restraints that you have in real life construction are just simply not there. Yeah. Um, digital format. And then that was basically what, what led me to discover, let's say, um, origami or look into it as an alternative for standard uh, construction. Awesome. Oh, what kind of... Uh specialty equipment or, or training do you need to make something like this work? Well, so basically, you know, metal folding is something that exists, of course, but we're talking about, um, 
you know, just kind of one, one time folds. But uh -huh. when we talk about um, fold struct, we're talking about multiple forms, um, multiple folds happening at the same time, kind of how to fold patterns. Um, and that's a completely different uh, system that uh, we've, de we've developed uh, with robotics, with algorithms. So it's kind of a design to fabrication workflow, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, that has to do with digital optimization all the way from the design state. So you're always taking into account the material, the properties, and also the actual folding. So, you know, you have restraints like angles, um, you know, depth, width, um, the, the strength of the material. Mm -hmm. These are all things that have to be taken into account when doing the, the folding. Interesting. Um, what kind of response have you gotten from the industry and fabricators? So the response I would say has been, has been very positive for me. I mean, it has, as you could see on the internet, you know, it, it was even surprising for me to see how much uh, of an interest there was uh, from people. So, uh -huh. I, you know, I, I, I could tell you that I get daily requests from people from India all the way to, to yeah, the U.S. Or, uh, there's no, you know, you see design and, and architecture unifies everybody. So yeah. that, that's what I, I find most interesting about it. The industry has been very receptive. Um, I am working with a company called Aluka Bond, 3A Composites, who are actually kind enough you know, to support me from day one um, and, and kind of flow along with what can be done with industry standard materials using digital tools. That was the, the, the question that led everything. Uh -huh. um, and so right now the industry, I would say, you know, the industry is slow to adapt to innovation, but surprisingly, there is a lot of interest. Um, and we're talking to a lot of big manufacturers out there, a lot of big developers who are interested in, in exploring new ways to, to create architecture. Yeah. Um, so you, you say that, that that's slow to um, innovate. Uh, I, I see that for sure in, in mindset. It's tough to kind of change that mindset. I don't mean to offend anybody, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, what do you think is one of the uh, kind of hangups or um, kind of stumbling blocks for people in trying to wrap their mind around a, a new way to go about it? Well, I think first of all, we have to remember that construction is a very slow business. Um, you know, when you're talking about a project, you can be five years in mm -hmm. before you start to see the results. Um, you're talking about collaborations. So it's a, it's a supply chain where if one thing goes wrong, the whole, you know, it's like a house of cards. And for that reason, people are very hesitant to do something which they hadn't done before. Mm -hmm. You know, so the, the main problem here is that, you know, you're not working in a restrained environment. You're working on a construction site. And that means a lot. That means you're working with people. You're working with a lot of different integrators. Um, and you basically have a lot of room where things can go wrong. Um, I think for that reason, you know, if you compare it to a car manufacturer, uh, car manufacturer, you can see that he's working in his own factory. Mm -hmm. He could adapt the factory to the, the restraints. But when you're talking about the construction field, um, I think you're talking about a lot of givens that you're not sure exactly how they would respond to, to that new innovation. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the trust, as always, is the main barrier um, to, to the innovation. Yeah, and a lot more variables on the job site too that you have to take into account there. Definitely, yeah. The, the human factor and, and of course, you know, the, the whole supply chain. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so Foldstruck's tagline is iconic and green architecture for the masses. 
how are you accomplishing this mission? So uh, basically, yeah, the way we do that is by developing new technologies um, that are based on easy fabricatable uh, construction methods that are built on top of, uh, you know, AEC optimization, BIM, and advanced manufacturing. We're used to thinking about folded patterns as 2D elements that are later folded, where we don't have any control over the outcome um, or the shape. Foldstruct allows an alternative where it could turn 3D forms into foldable elements. Mm. So that's kind of flip, flipping the equation, I would say. And mm -hmm. that means that you no longer have to know anything about folding. You can design freely and we will know how to make that conversion. So when, once you have that conversion, basically it's, it's a completely free form environment. So if we're talking about construction, you know, architecture, everyone wants to build an icon, but if you can afford it, um, and we're talking about a very, very a small segment of the market of just 1% that yeah. could you know, afford these, these you know, non-standard constructions. Although we're talking about raising property value, increasing demands and added permits, you may be asking yourself, why is it not implemented in our everyday reality? And the main reason is the high costs and the lack of feasibility. Um, you were talking a little bit about how we implement those. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. A pavilion that is um, called the Origami Pavilion that was done uh, together with the University of Detmold and uh, a Luca Bond 3A Composites. And what this was, it was actually the first experiment where we took this material and we said, what if we could fold something you know, instead of, of, of building it on, a, on top of a substructure, what if we could use the material as its own structure? Uh -huh. So that, in that sense, it's a little bit, um, you know, taking the, the concept of origami to the structural level and not only to the aesthetic level. We like to say, don't mold it, fold it. Nice. So that like is it. kind <laughs> of, the, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's the, the motto, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've read that you've... Uh you've said you want to change the way streets look and treat every building as an icon waiting to happen. Um, you kind of got into it a little bit there, but what's the, what's the big motivation there to have more iconic buildings on the street? Okay. So one of the things that drives me always, you know, is just a better version of reality. Uh -huh. You know, I think it, that drives every architect. That's one of the reasons why we enter this. It's, you know, just to, to try to create, use that cliche, create a better world. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, a better world can be created in many ways and art can be defined in, in many different ways. So I actually come from uh, a graphic arts point of view. Um, that, that is my, I would say my first profession before uh -huh. I studied architecture. So I basically deal um, with art and with graphic design. And, you know, I still consider myself an artist in a sense. But I think I've, I've switched the palette and maybe even the, the definition of art. 
And today, art for me is not something that should be hung on a wall or locked up inside a museum, um, which is, you know, a kind of a jail for art. But I think that art should be, you know, uh, engaging with the street. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, at least, you know, art is, is to create something which is worth more than its components. Uh, I think that that's, that's why we're here, you know, to make one and one equal three, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, you know, that's my motivation, basically, to take that building. I, I think a lot of the hardships we're seeing in the world today have to do with the built environment that we're living in. And you're seeing a direct, you know, a direct relationship between uh, crime, socioeconomics, and the way buildings uh, look like or the way cities look like. So there, there, there's definitely an impact which is much greater than just how something looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... That's interesting. Uh, yeah, one of the things that has been, I feel like coming up a lot recently on a, some of our past shows is is that relationship between art and architecture and construction that in order to really be really uh, talented at architecture and construction, you, that artistic mindset really does help and it makes it a, a big difference there. Yeah, you know, I mean, that that's why i'm here basically i can tell you that i've worked for large architecture offices and you know there's always that temptation to build more build bigger mm -hmm. and you know the people are sometimes you know very excited about the size of the projects that they're engaged in uh, for me it was always like you know we shouldn't build something unless we really have to and we have to make sure that what we're building actually does good for people mm -hmm. i mean that that's you know I, as I said, I, I come from, I use architecture as a means for transferring a message, I would say. So I'm not, you know, the, the, the type of architect who's looking to fulfill the, the, you know, the demand of let's build 20 stories, do it as fast as possible, mm -hmm. but trying to create an added value. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so you aren't just really designing uh, for the BIM platform, but, but real world applications. Uh, why is it important to provide these kind of tools to designers? Well, what I think is that one of the main, you know, blockages right now that you have in construction is, is a gap between architectural knowledge, I would say, and um, feasibility of construction. And mm. I think that the biggest gap here is that what's on the BIM cloud right now, and we're all talking about BIM and clouds, you know, and, and everyone wants to go digital and they're forgetting that, you know, in the end, no one cares about how you design the building. We're going to judge the building as what it is. You know, it's, mm. it's a bad building. It could be a bad building that, would that was designed on a cloud. Nobody right. would care, you know. Uh, and I think if we want to allow a new type of architecture, we have to inform BIM tools to uh, engage with the real construction world. And that means that you can no longer define a window as a square, which is painted in blue, uh -huh. but you have to control the whole supply chain of what type of window is that, who is going to supply it, does it really work together with the wall, you know, and, and is that BIM model really accurate to how we're going to construct it in, uh, at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, I think, also, you know, the biggest bottleneck in, in construction um, design is time. And I think a lot of architects simply don't have time to go into detail, um, you know, especially when you're talking about mainstream construction. 
-hmm. you're talking about iconic facades that takes time or money right you can, sure you, know, you could you could always buy a very fancy facade system that already has the design in it usually for uh, curtain walls but what happens to these everyday buildings you know could we design bim tools that will help design better buildings that 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 is at least what, what drives me yeah no, that's great what's your most worthwhile project that you've worked on and then what did you learn from that well, I think definitely my most, you know, I, I've worked before I, I've gone on to pursue this uh, role in Foldstruct. I've worked in large offices and I've worked on large um, projects in transportation and so forth. But I would say that the pavilion for me was, was the most interesting one. Um, mm -hmm. And it was not even a building, but it, it, it was, there was, you know, a sense of something new in the air, you know, and I, everything I was doing just felt like, you know, I'm doing something that is kind of paving the path for something bigger. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what it felt like for me. You know, time will tell. But uh, for me, it felt like something with, with a much um, greater cause. I knew that if that pavilion will be built as I imagine it, right? And we were talking about a tolerance of um, 0.2 millimeters, right? And uh -huh. I knew that if we can reach those tolerances and we could use those materials and those uh, optimization tools that would lead to something much bigger, which I did not even know what it was. Um, and I think that was definitely, um, you know, the most worthwhile project for me so far. And yeah. I hope I'll be speaking differently in a few years. Yeah. A anything that you learned from that experience that um, is a big takeaway? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, the first thing I learned is that if something works in your head, you know, there's a high, like, you know, there's a likelihood that it works in reality. Yeah. And you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be skeptic of yourself. I have to say, you know, in the beginning, I, I had all these ideas. And one of the things that always, you know, drive you is like, you know, could I be fooling myself? You know, I'm, I'm talking about something and I'm, I'm thinking it, but that's not the way it's done today. So I shouldn't even try. If there is something I learned is that, you know, if you have enough knowledge and you, if you believe that something can work, despite what everybody says, you know, if you see it, go, go ahead and try at least. Yeah. Right. Because there's, there's this likelihood that it actually might work. Sure. Yeah. We had a, a guest on a couple episodes ago, Bianca Corey, that she, uh, she used the phrase, start with the try. And I, I loved that. Uh, I told her I would steal it. So I'm already stealing it. But, uh, All right. You're quick. So, so that's what it is. It's a start with the try. Uh, if you have it in your head, just try it. See if it works out in reality. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing is don't, you know, don't keep it in your head. Go out there, preach it to people, you know, and get people engaged. I think one of the things I learned that, you know, was I, I was really lacking as a student. And I think, you know, Academy does not teach you is that nothing is yours. It's not your project. It's not you. It's all about engagement. If you have mm -hmm. something in your head, you know, it's never just about you and yourself. I learned that an idea is worth nothing if you don't have people engaged, willing to be on the same boat as you. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I always, you know, I also worked with an engineer on this, Muali um, Manaj, who was a friend of mine who studied with me. And he was an engineer that helped me out. And he actually lived with me. For a few months when we were doing this uh -huh. um, and, and I learned very you know quickly that to get something done you need 
a material fabricator, you need a friend, you need an engineer, you need a lot of people together with you. And, and this is, you know, the thing that they don't teach you in academy, release, you know, call other people and, and, and try to, to engage. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. It takes a community for sure. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a community. Uh, so you're working on some shelter homes as well with all the, uh, folding, um, uh, capabilities. Uh, can you speak more to this and kind of unpack the, the concept and inspiration behind the effort? Yeah, sure. So um, the shelter home idea is actually an idea that started out uh, with a trip to South Africa that I've made, um, you know, it was, a, it was a, I would say a trip that was, you know, just a two, two week kind of, uh, yeah, trip in, in South Africa and the Cape area. And you're seeing a lot of these beautiful views and meeting people. And, you know, South Africa is a very, very um, colorful place. And then at some point we took a wrong turn and, you know, we had to drive through one of those uh, townships. Uh, I don't know if you're acquainted with the townships, but, you know, Mm. they're basically uh, neighborhoods of of hundreds of thousands of people living in little shacks. Um, And, you know, the conditions there are almost unhuman, let's say, to a a Westerner. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I I was firstly shocked that people live live like this just a few meters away from, you know, how you live your life. And secondly, you know, I saw that there is an order to all this chaos. Because despite of what we may think, these people live a complete life there. They have their families. um, They they run, you know, they run their own uh, ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that kind of made me rethink about architecture because when we think about third world countries, third world environments, we're always thinking about how do we, um, you know, there's this term called Orientalism, which talks about judging someone, you know, with the eyes of a Westerner of we should change him to be more like us or we can respect this, but not that. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, how could architecture change itself to fit their environment? and not talk about how we move them to a different project. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. Live Lab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits, all from the comfort of your own office. Visit ASTI.com for more information and let them know we sent you. Folded houses, which would basically, you know, we think of them as um, pop-up housing. Mm-hmm. And this means that, you know, it's very hard to ask people to construct their own house if they don't have um, you know, background in construction on the one hand, and it's very expensive to bring in construction people on the other hand. The idea that, um, you know, we're talking about here is creating pop-up shelter homes that will come as flat foldable pieces. Hmm. And then once they're offloaded from the truck, you can put like a few tens of these on a single truck. They will be 30, 40 meter um, small apartments, you know, which is very similar or you know, I would say better than how they live today, but of course it's not the Western style of living, mm-hmm. but we were talking about creating a one-to-one replacement. So if someone is living in a shack, you know, in, in something which is 
I would say, you know, in, in the West, these houses would not even fit for uh, animal shelters, if I should, you know, you know, say the truth about it. Mm-hmm. And if we could create a better way than, than what they have now and provide that for a very, very low cost, we can make, you know, a revolution in, in many, many people's lives. Oh, for sure. And we're also in the Corona times, you know, this is something which I, of course, did not foresee in any way, but there is actually a great need today for these kind of pop-up homes when you're talking about people that are uh, infected by COVID-19 and they suddenly need to be isolated. You know, COVID-19 has completely flipped up, I think, the way we look at society and, and, you know, urban spaces. And suddenly you may need to be secluded from, from society and you need that kind of space and I think that's a really interesting solution to talk about pop-up homes. And of course, not only with Foldstruck, but, but there are a lot of people working on that in, gen- in general, which I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, an interesting point there too, to have these pop-up kind of quarantine facilities or, or even just extra hospital space. If you can put patients in these, um, you know, pop-up facilities. I think that's a, a great way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, how do people find out more information about Foldstruck and reach out to you? Okay. So if you guys want to hear more about uh, Foldstruck, of course, first of all, I'm always open for discussion. So uh, reach out to me directly, Tal Friedman. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on my webpage, www.talfriedman.com or www.foldstruct.com, which is the direct link to the Foldstruct project. That's the main ways. Of course, you can look at some of my lectures online if you just Google Todd Friedman Architecture 4.0, things like that, AEC Next and Next Build. I'm out there. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Tal, thank you so much for for joining us on the show and, and unpacking all that. That was really interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Todd, uh, for having me. It was very, very interesting. I want to thank you for your um, well-thought-out questions. uh, And I hope our audiences uh, enjoyed it today. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to all those listening. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and sharing with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcast, the AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced by Alyssa Chartier and edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.